0: Hey, y'all. How y'all doing? Well, good. Good. I see some of my favorite people here. We have baby Taylor in the house today, too. Um, All right. I'm going to figure this out. And... Then we're going to continue our sermon series in the book of Acts. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about chapter 16. And I'm going to tell you up front, we're going to talk about pain, but we're also going to talk about plans and control. And I'm also going to tell you up front that I think this is one of the most terrifying most powerful, most beautiful passages of scripture in the entire Bible. You don't always get the highs and the lows of the human experience in a single passage, but in this one, you do. Now, earlier in the series, when we first kicked it off, Phil uh, shared a message about God's fulfilled promise to his people and the Holy Spirit and the power that came. And we're going to see some of that power today. And then just last week, Alicia shared a really great message. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. And she talked about a man named Silas, who became Paul's companion after Paul had a sharp disagreement with another uh, believer, disagreement with another believer. We're going to focus on Paul and Silas today. So let's read our scripture, and then we'll dive into the message. Acts chapter 16 verses 22 through 34. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, "'Sirs, what must I do to be saved?' They replied, "'Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household.'" Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds— Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for waking us this morning, for leading and guiding us here where we are gathered in your name. Holy Spirit, help us to understand what we just heard. Help us to understand what God is doing behind the text. Help us to understand what God is doing in our lives this very moment. Illuminate it for us, teach us, help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. Well, over the course of the summer, if you've been following the news, you have seen a number of stories about canceled and delayed and rerouted flights. But one of the most famous stories about a rerouted flight was actually born out of the tragedy of 9-11. On 9-11, there were 38 flights going from different uh, destinations around the world, And they were told midair that they could not continue to their destination, that instead they needed to land in a small coastal town in northeastern Canada. When the planes landed, there were more than 7,000 passengers that had to disembark. And this town, which had very little warning, had to rally very suddenly, but they did it. They cleared out meeting halls, they cleared out schools, they cleared out any space where they could have people sleep for the night. They opened up their own homes to the elderly and to pregnant people. They fed everyone, they gave the passengers tokens so that they could wash their clothes at laundromats. They went above and beyond for the passengers. And this ordeal, which lasted five days was not what any of the passengers had expected, but in the end, they found themselves quite fortunate that they had uh, hosts the way that they did, and that these townspeople were so willing to go above and beyond, and everyone's lives were changed because of the way the townspeople chose to handle that event. That is a true story. It's a beautiful story, it's a comforting story, and we need stories like this because they help us to believe that even when things don't go according to plan, something good can still come out of it. Grace can still abound, and that's really important because we are all going to experience moments in life where we have disruptions where our plans don't work out, where we experience what feels like a setback, even a life journey where God is at the center of it is going to uh, involve pit stops in places that you would probably rather avoid. Which sometimes leaves me and maybe you wondering, but if God is God, then why do we have to go through painful pit stops in the first place? Why doesn't God just plan and arrange everything in a way where we can avoid all of that? And then even if I'm serving God, why do I have to go through hard things, period? Thankfully, my job for today is not to try to answer the questions that people have tried to answer for a thousand years. My job is to persuade you that when you do find yourself in a hard place, a prison of hardship, if you will, that it would be wise to remember, as Paul and Silas did, that God's intention is not for you to stay there and that God has a master plan. So we're going to use Acts chapter 16 to just help us navigate through that truth. So the scripture for today begins with a mob forming around Paul and Silas. And I just want to take a moment to explain why that is. Paul and Silas. uh, If you haven't read this, go back and read it tonight. Really interesting story. Uh, Paul and Silas go to a new region. It's never heard the word of God before. And they encounter a group of Philippian men. And these men are holding a young girl hostage as a slave And they keep her as a slave because she has a demonic spirit on her that allows her to tell the future. And that's how these men make money. People go to her to have their fortunes told, and then they pay these men. And when Paul and Silas encountered her, Paul, in a moment of exasperation and compassion, healed her. And when he healed her and he cast the spirit out of her, she was no longer able to tell the future. And these men were furious because their business had been ruined. And so they grabbed Paul and Silas. They drag them to the authorities in this marketplace. They say, these Jews are causing problems. Do something about it. And so it says a mob starts to form around them. And whenever I read that, I always wonder, did Paul and Silas understand how much trouble they were in? Like, did they get how bad this was about to be because you have a mob coming around you? And let's just break that down a little bit. Paul and Silas have come in peace, but the Philippians at this time are not interested in peace First of all, they have very violent tendencies. Second of all, they have racist tendencies. They are very prejudiced toward Jewish people. That's a part of what's happening historically at this point in Roman colonies is Rome in very subtle, covert ways is trying to get Jewish people out of some of their colonies. So these men have two strikes against them already. Secondly... Paul and Silas have come with the word of God, they've come with the truth, but again, these people are not interested in the truth. They like quick, easy, cheap lies, they like distortion, they like sorcery, that's their form of entertainment, and that's just been taken from them. And then Paul and Silas have a solution, but they don't want a solution, they want a distraction because they have such little hope. How how do we know they had little hope? Okay, well in just the few minutes I've been talking, look at how many problems I've hit on. We have slavery, racism, idolatry, witchcraft, corruption, and if we had time, the list would go on and on and on. And so when you read this, you start to get a sense for why God would send two of his most trusted servants into an area like this. There's a lot of darkness here. And we know that they're hopeless because there's a mob coming around them. And let me tell you something, whether it's for back then or for now, remember this, people don't take matters into their own hands unless they believe that the system they're told to rely on will fail them. So here we are, we're in what is supposed to be a dignified Roman colony, but we have people taking matters into their own hands. A mob demanding mob justice, and mob justice is never justice. Mob justice will always be anarchy. It will always end in violence, and that's exactly where this is heading. It has a very violent end. They have these men stripped They have them severely beaten. They go well beyond what is even legal in terms of beating people. They don't have a trial. They beat them severely and then they have them thrown into the inner dungeon of a prison. So this is not what Paul and Silas had planned. What do you do when your plans fail? What do you do when you find yourself in an unexpected, hard place? Are you still open to God being able to come in and work? I think this passage carries a fear that a lot of us have. It's a fear that even I get a little nervous to speak out loud sometimes. It's a fear that despite our best efforts, Despite everything we do to plan, life might not turn out the way that we hoped. Or God might call us to do something really hard. And he might send us somewhere we don't want to go. He might disrupt the comfort of our daily rhythms. We might be in the middle of life, we might be serving God, and now something happens that we didn't expect. And some of you might be in a moment like that right now. Disruptions have a way of sobering us up. You get serious really quickly when something you didn't expect happens. They force us to slow down. They force us to reevaluate who we are, how we've been navigating life. But what they don't do is they don't take away our fear and our anxiety. Not unless we exchange that for something else. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But I don't want to gloss over the very cold, very dark, very real prison that Paul and Silas are in. And I don't want to gloss over the very cold, very dark, very real pain that you might be in. I think... There are times in life where it feels like we can tolerate just about anything except our plans not working out and then accept not knowing what's going to happen next. And it's not just us. It's all of us. People have always been this way. Going back to Adam and Eve, they were in the garden. They had it all. They had everything that they could ever want. And still that lie and that idea that if they just knew, you know, if I just know more, if I just, if I just know, if I just know. And, of course, that was a lie and it was a trap. Instead of gaining, they lost Instead of being set free, they found themselves in bondage. God has never intended for us to know it all, but instead for us to rely on him as a shepherd and as a father. Uh, Speaking of fathers, I adore mine but I don't mention him very often, and that's because most of the stories about my dad are not appropriate for a setting such as this. He is one of God's special children. Um, But here's one story that I I can tell about him in a public place. Uh, My dad grew up in a small town. Uh, His parents were farmers, hardworking people, And every Saturday morning, they would load their truck with goods, and they would drive into town to go sell what they had. And that would leave my dad and his siblings alone for several hours. One Saturday morning, my dad went into the shed. He knew he wasn't supposed to go in there, but he did it anyway. And he looked under a blanket, and he found a pile of toys. And so he grabbed them. He ran down to the pond where nobody could see him. He played with the toys for a few hours, and then he put them back before his parents got home. And he did this for a few weeks in a row. And finally, Christmas morning came, and my dad walked downstairs, and he saw his name, and he walked over to his spot underneath the tree, and there were his presents. A muddy dump truck, a plane with a broken wing, and a few other toys that he had managed to just about Destroy. And he said this of my grandparents. He said, They didn't get mad. In fact, they didn't say anything at all. And he said, But they taught me a lesson. I never went in the shed again, never did. I love that story because I think it proves what we all know that we are wired to be curious and that universally, All kids think they're smarter than their parents. But hopefully one day we will realize we are not smarter than God. But the smartest thing that we can do is make an exchange. And the exchange looks like this. We give up our need for control and our need for certainty. And we replace it with faith. That is the exchange that I'm inviting you to make today. We give up our plans and instead we just receive all that we need by faith, a faith that is, as it says in Hebrews 11, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that we cannot see, a faith that believes that God knows more of the plan than we do, and he can redeem, yes, even our worst moments. Tim Keller, who I know many of you love, often says, Just because we can't find a reason for evil and pain doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose for them. But can you believe that? Can you make the exchange from control to faith? Psalm 23, the psalmist wrote, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? How? What enables him to say that? His faith, a faith that knows even here, God knows what is best. In last week's message, Alicia spoke about this complex theological notion called the already not yet concept. In case you miss it, it means that we're living in a present age, and yet there's an age to come. It means that spiritual blessings are already ours, and yet the fullness and the full enjoyment of those spiritual blessings are not yet ours. I believe the same can be said about God's plan. On one hand, God has already finished his master plan. That was completed through Jesus. Jesus came to us. He showed us the nature of God. Jesus gave up his freedom so that we could be saved. And then Jesus ushered in the Holy Spirit that now empowers us. We have already been saved from the worst outcome that we could imagine, which is a life and an eternity without God and yet there's more to come. The total and complete unfolding of God's plan, the one where Jesus comes a second time and God's kingdom reigns forever, is not yet done. So what do we do about the in-between? How do we live making plans knowing the plan, knowing what's going to come, but it hasn't quite unfolded and we're still in the tension in between. I have a few proposals. First, I propose we live. Propose we live our lives. We keep going. We acknowledge when we're in the middle of something hard, whenever we're there. We remind ourselves that we're in between. We remind ourselves that God has a master plan. But even that is probably not going to be enough. So the second thing I propose we do is to be reminded of God's presence in our lives. And that's very important. They say um, when you have a flock of sheep and they won't move or they won't do what you need them to do. They say you'll notice that's usually because they're very tense. They're almost kind of like paralyzed, locked into place, and you'll see them like twitch and move and their tails keep moving and they're uncomfortable and they don't like it. And they say the best thing to do is to have the shepherd come in and just walk very slowly between them. But he'll come and he'll stand first. And then very slowly, for as long as it takes, move between them. Each each one. He doesn't miss a corner. Every one that needs his attention, he comes and he stands by them. And then they're calm. Because they have to be reminded of who's in control. They have to be reminded that there's a shepherd. And then, boom, they're ready to move. You can get them to do whatever you need them to do. I think sometimes we're waking up like those sheep. We're tense, we're tight, things are not going the way that we want them to, but we start trying to move immediately, we cover it, we put a mask on, you gotta get to work, you gotta do what you gotta do. Stop, stop. Be reminded that the shepherd is here by you. Do you perceive his presence? Do you perceive that he brushes gently beside you? Do you perceive that he has a staff in his hand to protect you from danger? Do you perceive that he's in control? Now you're ready to move. Now you're ready to move. Now go. As followers of Christ... We are not promised certainty. We're not promised that everything we experience here and now is going to be perfect. But what we are promised is that we get to bear witness to the greatest story ever told. What we are promised is that in the end, everything will be made new in Christ. What we are promised is that in the end, it's all good. And that's how you got to move. And maybe you say to yourself, I know that. I know that. I don't know about you. I hate when people tell me something I already know. I already know that. Why are you telling me that? I can't stand it. But there's a gap sometimes between what you know and what you don't feel. You know it. You know it in your head. You grew up. You've read the Bible. You know what the word says. You know God is good. You know he loves you. I know that, I know that, I know that. But I don't feel it because I'm still unmarried, because I still don't have a job, because I'm still struggling, because my mom, and on and on and on. I know that, but I don't feel it. Okay, cool. God is very smart. If God had wanted to put your brain and your heart next to each other, He could have done that, but He didn't. He left a gap. And what's in between? Your vocal cords. This is why we sing. It's not just about, you know, we're going to sing because, you know, oh, we smile. No, 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 no. When you sing, that's a bridge. That's a bridge, a connection between what you know and what you don't feel, but you want to feel. I want to be there. I want to feel it. We sing. We have to bring these two things together. There's power there. There's power in the name of Jesus, especially when you sing it. If there's a gap for you today, when we're done, sing. Because when you sing and you praise, you're going into a realm where the stress cannot touch you. It has to stay here for a moment. You're going to a different place to be reminded again that God has a plan. And when you do it, it brings our Lord pleasure. So failed plans and then miracles. Let's get back to the scripture. It says, I'm gonna get a sip of water. Yes, that's what I needed. Woo! Okay. It says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. And they were singing hymns to the Lord. Woo, can you imagine? In prison. It stinks. It's disgusting. You have the head knowledge if you're Paul, right? But what do you feel in your body? You feel pain. There's no ignoring that. Let me sing so I can bring these two together until the truth elevates me beyond where I currently am. And it says the other prisoners were listening when suddenly the ground shook, the prison was rocked to its foundations, the chains fell loose. In Acts chapter 1, God said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to send power. And when God tells you he's going to do something, you better believe it. Now, my question for you is, Where is the first place we see the power in this passage? Is it in the earthquake? No. Is it when the chains fall loose? No. It's in the singing. The power shows up when they start singing. The supernatural shows up when they start singing. Guess what? It is not natural to sing when you're in prison. That is supernatural. Nobody wants to sing in that situation. But when you're able to do it, that is the Holy Spirit empowering you. That is why everybody is listening to them. And so often we, we, we want to wait to sing, we want to wait to praise until after we're out of prison, until after it looks a lot better, but you sing while you're there. The power is available to you when you are weak, beloved. When you are weak, he is our helper for the here and now. God does not allow you to go through hardship and expect you to do the impossible. He doesn't expect you to sing when you're in a hard place in your own strength. He expects that you would stop living in your own strength and instead live out of his. We think that by surrendering control in a moment like that, we're gonna end up stuck. But that's the way out. That's when the power can move. When your plans fail, you do not have to save yourself. The jailer in this passage is so certain that the prisoners have fled that he's prepared to kill himself because he knew that the Romans would kill him for letting his pres- prisoners uh, get loose. And... Uh, He's just about to kill himself, and I love this, that Paul and Silas, who are no longer chained, are literally chilling right there, just can't even see but understand what's happening, and just as he goes to kill himself, hey, 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 don't do that, don't, do not put it down, stop, ah, ah, don't do it, be still, we're right here, chilling. And that is powerful. And it shows you how we ought to move. There is a time to engage and there's a time to rest. When you're in prison, sing. Engage. This is not the time to be still and be defeated. When you're in prison, this is the time to let the Holy Spirit flow through you. But when the power moves, sit back and watch. Don't move, don't be in a rush. Oh wow, okay, I've been waiting for God to come through, things are starting to move, you sit right where you are. Relax, your God is on the scene. You don't have to run, you don't have to move. Your instruction now is to wait Until he tells you what to do next. And in the case of Paul and Silas. They don't have to wait very long. Because the jailer comes out. And he says. What do I have to do to be saved? And it's a two part question. It's a practical question. But it's also a spiritual question. He wants to know how to preserve his life, but he also wants to know how does he avoid living a life without the God that he's seen these men worship. And so they tell him to believe. Believe in Jesus, believe that the kingdom of God has come near to you today through the person of Jesus Christ, and that through his life and death and resurrection, death has been defeated. Believe that God has been looking for you and just wants you to come home. So God's master plan not only gets Paul and Silas out, but saves the jailer. The jailer does not save himself God comes to him in prison. Funny enough, the place where he has more control than anybody else. God is not too busy. God does not overlook him. The jailer does not love God, and yet God's love comes to him anyway. God makes the first move. Because God is always on the side of those who are in need. His love and his kindness will come to you. His love and his kindness has come to you. And God's love and kindness does not just extend to his children, but even to those who are not looking for him. And so right there, the jailer the least lovable, least sympathetic person in this entire story, receives the good news, he's baptized, he brings Paul and Silas to his home so that they can do the same for his family, and it says that they were all filled with joy, the kind of joy that makes you weep, the kind of joy that takes off the stress from the last few years, from all the things that haven't worked out. And they have joy because that's all the Philippians, those people we started off talking about, that's all they really want. That's all anybody really wants is good news. And real good news only comes from God, and it's all about Jesus. Yes, the miracles will get their attention, but it is the gospel. It is Jesus that transforms lives. It is the gospel that makes a difference because it comes to people when they need it with the answer that they seek. How will it get there if not through us? How will it get there if not through us? I pray that as you go throughout your week and the next few months, that we, all of us, will not insist on things going our way, but that we will give ourselves an opportunity to see our pain and our prison and our pit stop as a chance to see God's miraculous power I pray that we remember that not only is God several steps ahead, but that truly, forever and always, He has a master plan. Let's pray. Lord, speak. We come before you with open hands and open hearts. And if only for this moment, God, we are fully yours. If only for a moment, God, we put our plans down, God, and we open ourselves to receive more of what you want for us and where you want to take us and where you want to guide us. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving your life so that we are reassured our shepherd is always with us. We love you. We thank you for your transforming power. Amen.